0: Hi folks, make sure you're strapped in and ready to go and you've got your hands and legs and arms, feet, head all inside of the uh, whatever the chair, the cabin. You know the drill. You've 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 flown before. Welcome to the show guys. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to refer to the show to your family, friends, relatives. Tell them to join the Chris Voss show. Subscribe to it. Remember, we're the family that loves you but doesn't judge you—the best kind of family there is. For those of you, maybe the the only family that will accept you at this point. I'm just kidding. You're not that bad off. Don't be depressed. Anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in. We love you. Go to YouTube.com for says Chris Voss. Hit the bell notification button. Goodreads.com for Chris Voss. See everything we're reading and reviewing over there. All our groups: Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Make sure you subscribe to that LinkedIn newsletter. That thing's killing it over there. And and uh, also, our big 131,000 LinkedIn group. Uh, today, we have an amazing author on the show and a topical story for what's going on in the war in Ukraine right now. For those of you who might be seeing this 10 years ago, or 10 years ago, 10 years from now, we have videos you can see from 10 years ago, too. So there's, you know, front and back. Her new book that comes out April 5th, 2022 is Learning America One Woman's Fight for Educational Justice. For refugee children. Luma Muffle is in the show with us today. She is the founder of the Foogies family. I believe I did, did I get the right two. The Fuji's family. Fuji's family. Yeah. There you That's go. Yeah. There you go. With schools now in Georgia and Ohio and an expanding footprint, bringing educational Equity to Refugee Settlement Communities Across America. Her TED Talk is pretty amazing. I was just watching it on educational justice for refugee families was viewed more than 1.7 million times. Welcome to the show, Luma. How are you?
1: Good. Thank you for having me, Chris.
0: Thank you for coming. And congratulations on the new book. These are always uh, a lot of work and and then a lot of fun when you finally get it published, huh?
1: Yeah, it was definitely a lot of work. I (laughs) never imagined I would write one, so... And I did it during go. the pandemic. So.
0: There you go. I, uh, that pandemic's your help. That's when I wrote my first yeah. book, too, was <laughs> over so, the pandemic. So give us your dot-coms. Where can people find you on the interwebs and learn more? About-
1: Fujisfamily.org for our organization, at Luma underscore Mufleh on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, and coach.luma on Facebook, and Luma underscore Mufleh on Instagram.
0: There you go. So F-U-G-E-E-S.com?
1: F-U-G-E-S family.org.
0: Oh, okay. Family.org. Okay. I was going off of, I was just reading the name here off the bio. So tell us what motivated you want to write this book and give us a little bit of origin if you would.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's the book I wish I had when I started this work. I wanted a a book that would tell me how messy this work is, uh, Mm -hmm. not something that glamorizes it. It was authentic and real about how hard to work with kids and how hard it, it is to adjust to life in America. For me, it was personal as well. I came to the United States when I was 18 and was granted political asylum at age 22. So I was born and raised in the Middle East. But it's a story of the organization I founded, the Schools for Refugees, but it's through storytelling and weave some of my backstory into it as well to give people the reasons why.
0: And what, what brought you to this country? What country did you come from? What was the origin story there of, of, of your experience? My
1: experience. So I think it goes way back to my grandmother and mother. They um, are Syrian, and they fled Syria during the first Assad regime back in the 60s. Another group was trying to overthrow the government. My grandmother's maternal instincts kicked in and said, we need to go. It's not safe. So she packed up her five children. She was pregnant with her sixth and fled to neighboring Jordan. My grandfather refused to go. He's like, ah, it's just another, cool attempt. It's it's going to blow over, but this time it was different. They seized his factory and then arrested his brothers and they disappeared. Never seen them since. And so then he came and they started from scratch. My mom was 16 when she left. And then fast forward, I was sent to college in the United States. I'm gay in Jordan. You can get the death penalty for being gay. So I applied for asylum. I actually had my asylum hearing four days after graduation. So yeah.
0: Congratulations for making it here. It, it's sad that people have to leave their home country because, I mean, that's that's a place where you – that's your home.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: The Is it still that
1: way? Depending no, so- on who wants to enforce the law. Like, you don't know. Like, on Jeez. the books, that is it, right? And oh. then when – in countries where there aren't democracies or rights, that's what happens. It's like, okay, today I'm, I'm going to take everybody in. or And so it's still that, even though oh. – on the surface, Jordan, can appear to be modern. It's not.
0: Uh, we think we live in a world of human rights and, you know, everybody's equal. And <laughs> sometimes you get spoiled when you live here in America, especially Americans that were born and raised here. We just kind of think like, well, everybody has the same sort of thing going on. We do. <laughs> and they don't. And it's unfortunate. So you, you come to America. And uh, what, where does this lead into the foundation that you start with in your book?
1: Yeah, I mean, I struggled after college trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I was disowned by my family. You know, so when I got asylum, I lost everything, you know, oh, wow. my Jordanian citizenship, my family. And so I had to start from scratch and, you know, jumped around from job to job. I eventually ended up in Atlanta. And then one day as I was uh, driving to pick up groceries from an authentic Middle Eastern store, I missed my turn back home. And I had to U-turn into this apartment complex and I felt I was transported into a different part of the world. There was a mosque, a Buddhist temple the, on that street. And then when I U-turned into that apartment complex, there were a group of kids playing soccer with a raggedy soccer ball and rock set up stones. Uh, that group of boys, uh, they were from Afghanistan, Liberia, and Sudan. I'd coached club soccer for a long time. That's the universal language. They reminded me of home. And so I grabbed the soccer ball out of my trunk. They saw it. They wanted the ball. I wanted to play. We haggled. I ended up playing, and they got the ball, and that's how it all started. <laughs>
0: yeah. So where does this journey lead from there? It all comes down to a U-turn. It's it's interesting the the past we end up in life, just sometimes by accident.
1: Yeah. It, you know, First, it was that group of kids, and I got to know them. We formed a soccer team, and then their siblings wanted to join. So we ended up forming more soccer teams, and... You know, I'm a coach that really looks at the whole player. You know, it's like, yeah, we had great athletes, but, you know, it was really important for me that they were doing well in school. So they had turned in their report cards and they didn't pass, they didn't play. And several times after practice, kids would ask with help from their homework. So we'd hang out at the park and do homework. And there's this one situation, you know, that really stands out for me. One kid, he's quiet, doesn't cause a lot of trouble, uh, Verbally uh, fluent in English. He was telling me, he's like, Coach, I have a headache. Can you read to me? And so no. I sat next to him, read to him, filled out the worksheet. Second day, he did the same thing. Oh, by the third day, I was like, There's something going on. So I said, No, Lewis, I have a headache. You know, and he's like, No, I have a headache. And it's like, I'm more stubborn. And so I waited him out. And then he eventually looked up at me and said, Coach, I can't read. Wow. Um, and that broke me. You know, my parents sent me to British and American schools growing up. And so I believed every school in America was like the State Department-run high school I went to in Haman, Jordan, and that was not the case. I didn't understand how a kid who had been in public school for three years could not read. Yeah. And I said, if this was my kid, what would I do?
0: And did you find a lot of kids that were immigrant refugees that were were having that issue too?
1: The vast majority were. The way we do it right now is a kid comes into the country, we place them in the age-appropriate class. So mm-hmm. if you're 12 or 13, we're going to put you in seventh or eighth grade. You might get one or two hours of support a day of English language learning, but the rest you're supposed to function with your peers. Wow. And it doesn't make sense. Like if you don't know the alphabet, and you've been in school, like how do? You, it's so like illogical. Um, and so many of my uh, players were in that position, mm-hmm. um, and so it's like, what's the point of soccer if they're just going to play games and then what? Right?
0: Yeah. You've got to do something to build a life here and, and, and be able to, you know, around the, around the, around the thing. If you want to, you know, maximize your opportunities, you don't have to learn the language. I mean, there's, I know there's a lot of people in California and I think New York and maybe other places that never learned the language. There's little barrios you can go in in California. I've met people who are incredible restaurateurs and and yeah. and stuff, and they've never really learned much English, but they're really good at the food and what they do, and no one cares. But but no, it just it helps open more opportunities. Is is you know, and, and the funny thing about America is, I know a lot of people who are born here still don't know how to read write <laughs> properly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's just a problem for refugee kids, but I think <laughs> we highlight it a lot more, right?
0: Definitely, definitely, yeah. definitely so. So so, what did you do? What, did you, what actions did you take, and, and what pathway did you go with that?
1: I ended up starting a school for six of my players, hired a teacher, got a church basement donated. We're like, all right, how quickly can we get them to learn so they're at grade level, and then mainstream them back in. After the first six months, more kids were asking to be in it, and it just continued to grow. And we ended up opening another school in Ohio four years ago, three and a half, and a half years ago.
0: Awesome. So you yeah. build this academy mm-hmm. and you're helping people. And I would imagine because a lot of these folks are refugees, they bond together because of their experience. You know, there's there's a lot of things that you know, people are, that were born and raised in America probably don't understand from that experience what it's like, the trauma, things of that nature. And I, and I imagine it it, it's, it gives a bit of solace and, and help or a community, if you will, to help people that have gone through kind of the same experience and can help carry each other or help each other.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's nothing more fa- powerful to heal trauma than being around others who've been through it, right? So you're not alone. I mean, we have kids from warring factions. We have kids from every corner of the world. But for them to say, oh, wait, it's not just me, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, we had Dave Navarro from one of the several different bands on last uh, week or two. And uh, we talked about trauma and, yeah, that whole concept of you're not alone. Uh, there's a whole lot of other people who are suffering and stuff. And, and, you know, that's that's really important. Let's talk about as the Academy grew, what are the things did you do in, in building a mission, student population, et cetera, et cetera? How did you, you get it to grow and be successful?
1: I mean, I think it was adapting as quickly as possible to the community needs. You know, Mm -hmm. we start off as a soccer team. So that's still very core in our school design. Every kid in the school plays soccer. Mm -hmm. Every kid's part of a team. We have a lot of music and arts integration, celebrate everything in the building. So literally every other week, there's a party celebrating something, whether it's holy or Eid or Christmas, something's being celebrated and kids are being taught about. Everyone that they interact with, and we have fun, you know, um, but we also have a lot of high expectations of the kids because they're so far behind. Mm -hmm. And it's like, all right, we gained this much. Now we need to get you up here. Now we need to get you up here and really build their confidence that they don't see themselves as less than, that they are capable and strong and can do anything they want to do.
0: Yeah. And I, I think this is beautiful because you you take this from your experience as a refugee, and and being accepted in society. You know, sometimes by society and people that are really ugly. I mean, we see what's going on in like Florida right now. It's, I'm just like, what are we in the 80s? What the fuck? But hopefully that whole thing goes to court and stuff. But uh, you know, you, you dealt with stuff. There's an ugly thing that people do here that are that are, that are either racist or hateful or I don't know. Pick. Pick all of the above where they say, go back to where you came from. And I imagine you experience or deal with that at your academy where students are told this and, and they've got to deal with some of the ugliness that, that they get from maybe you know, very mean, ugly Americans here.
1: Yeah, I mean, we see both both extremes, like hate and then, you know, curiosity, and we want to welcome you, we want to understand. We definitely see it out on the soccer field, like when we're playing against teams. You know, one memory really sticks out is we're playing against this team and a kid that newly arrived from Afghanistan. And this was 15 years ago when the first group of refugee, Afghan refugees came in and playing a game. And then one of the kids like told them, you know, they, we have to say our names during the game. And so one kid, it's like, oh, where are you from? You know, he's like, Afghanistan. He's like, are you Taliban? Why don't you go back there? And the kid, like, just walked off shaking because he left because of the Taliban. And here was, you know, and he he was like so innocent when when the kid asked him, where are you from? He thought, oh, this is curious. He wants to learn about me. He loves me, you know. And it's just hard to learn that at such a young age that this is what's going to come your way over and over and over again.
0: It definitely is. It it saddens me that we haven't, I was born like 200 years too early or something. I don't know. I don't know if we can ever hate, get the hate resolved in this country and racism. I mean, we've had 450 years of this thing and it's, it's so interweaved in our idiot psyche. And then of course some moron brought it back about five or six years ago. The, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an ugly thing. And, but it's great that you have, you know, what you're building so that there can be more integration. I've heard. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard that America integrates better than any other country with people that come from other countries. We're better at melting pot. We're not perfect, of course. As you know, some of the topics we've talked about. But I've heard we do better than places like France and and other places, England and stuff. You know, they. they, I think they isolate them a lot in those countries. Is that is that true, or we we still uh, need a lot of work to do?
1: I I think saying we're better than England and France is a low bar. Um, It's not, right? Like, it's rough there, right? And so, and England and France weren't built on the values of America. Like, America was built on people fleeing for safety, right? Mm -hmm. And so we should be doing a lot better. I think we took several steps backwards over the last five to ten years. I think there's still ways to do it so much better. I think Americans want... To welcome and we have to do it well. And first experiences are very important, right? And so mm-hmm. to avoid the social segregation, so communities don't segregate and say, well, they don't understand me. I'm just going to stay with my own. It's like, let's learn about each other and, you know, build America for what it's supposed to be.
0: That's the best thing for everyone, is integration, everyone getting to know each other, everyone interacting with each other every day, understanding people's differences. I mean, that's really what made this country great, the Great melt. You know, I think where would this country be? I mean, Steve Jobs was a Syrian refugee, his father. If he'd never been allowed in this country... We'd be in some pretty weird places. I don't know where we'd be. I guess we'd all own Blackberries or something. But you see the industry that came out of the iPhone. I'm a part of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't think of where my job would be if, 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 you know, he had not come around and, and built you know, the whole industry of social media and everything else that came out of it. And uh, of course, Apple's been pretty integrate and it, pretty awesome for podcasts. And, but you know, there's so many different immigrants. You, you've got the CEO of Google, who I believe was, if I recall right, that was born and raised on a dirt flooring. In India in a hut. He's the CEO of Google now. This this country has so much there's there's no limit to who can contribute anything and other than, you know, the stupid stuff we do in society. But there's no there's no um, there's no monopoly on who has all the smart ideas. I learned that a long time ago owning businesses being the CEO. I don't have all the good ideas and there's no limit to, to the contributions people can make. I believe one of the people who Created the mRNA the antivirus for, uh, for, uh, that we ended up using for COVID was an immigrant as well if I recall rightly. And so, you know, there's no person that has good ideas. And what, what a lot of people don't understand in this country is we're a dwindling country population wise. We're not, people aren't married. They're not having kids anymore. We need more immigration. We need more people in this country because the thing that made America powerful was it was the largest marketplace in the world. And we were the dominant buyer and controller, especially when it came to our money. People don't realize that our money is actually what makes us powerful. Our dollars. And it's what everyone trades on in the world because we used to be the largest marketplace. And we're losing that ground to China. And just, just by the sheer billions of people that are in China, as they slowly, you know, adapt and grow and modernize, they're going to become what we used to be. And they're not like the greatest country in the world. Let's put it that way. And so we're a fading empire when it really comes down to it. And people in America need to wake up and quit being entitled. So what are some of the great moments you've had that have come out of your academy, some of the success stories maybe you want to share?
1: I mean, it's like every day, uh, you know, there's success, right? Like uh, on Monday, we brought in eight Afghan students who had been on our military bases and then hotels Mm -hmm. for over eight months, and they're so excited to learn and are eager. And one of them said, good morning today, which is a step up from Monday, because those two words did not exist. And then, you know, kids who are illiterate. So I got a FaceTime call from one of my seniors on Monday, and she'd gotten accepted into Kennesaw State University, her first choice. I met her seven years ago. She's from Sudan. Couldn't put a sentence together and we ended up holding her back a year because she didn't grow, was not ready for high school as as quickly as we thought she would be. And she talks to that moment of like, if you hadn't held me back, what would have happened? I wouldn't have been ready. I would have failed. I would have dropped out. And she's so excited. And her mom is like over the moon. She's one of six kids and always says like, this couldn't have happened in Sudan, right? This is mm-hmm. happening here, right? our school couldn't happen anywhere in the world it's happening here
0: do you see your school growing and and spreading across the nation so that it can serve more refugees we had of course the folks that just came over from afghanistan that were uh, evacuated and then the ukrainians we're going to take 100,000 ukrainians i think they've agreed to according to biden as of this moment
1: yeah i mean we've we just launched up a- partnership with a Bowling Green, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. So we're working with their school district to implement our model for all their refugee and immigrant kids. And they're super excited. And yeah, we want to impact as many kids coming into this country. So when they get here, they have a softer landing place Mm -hmm. and they're set up for success. And then they're contributing members Mm -hmm. and strong citizens. Um,
0: Do you guys seek out investors and people that can help grow, grow the academy and make it bigger?
1: Always. And that's part of my job. You know, when you're CEO, you're doing like everything, but fundraising is a big part of it. Awareness and bridge building is another part of it. But we want as many people as possible helping us out because this is not just, it's a movement, right? And yeah, it's, uh, and yeah we, we want our team to be the biggest and strongest in the country.
0: Definitely. So are the ways that people can help out, contribute, donate, you know, we're seeing a lot of donations that are people are usually always doing. Americans are usually good people for donating and helping out with charity. Is there any is there any sort of assistance that people can give that maybe wouldn't involve money or you know, I I don't know. I'm just
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, so there's always donating, giving money. If you're in Atlanta or Columbus, we always look for volunteers to come tutor our students and, you know, get to know our families. We're working on other ways to get other people involved that is not necessarily location-specific. And I think reading the book and understanding, like, this is what it is and um, humanizing people, not mm-hmm. vilifying. And I think that's what I try to do in the book because I believe that Americans, when they understand the story, the hate becomes less. It's not, right? The guard comes down. It's like, oh, Mm -hmm. we're we're more similar. We're not other. Yeah.
0: And and you know what's uh, one thing I've been speaking about with the Ukrainian experience because it's a really good example how. You know, I mean, f- five or six weeks ago, they were living much like us in in a pseudo democracy. I'm not sure how democratic fully they were, but they, they were in they were in a fairly good democracy. They were they were living out their lives just like most Americans are. And within overnight, the apple cart gets overturned, and it can happen anywhere. I mean, if you've studied history things can go really bad anywhere i mean if it wasn't for a vice president's decision and and two people at the at the division of justice in in, in the attorney general's office we would probably be in a civil war and not have a democracy at this point, and we would have gone full Hungarian with the loss of a democracy. So, and and also if Madison hadn't made it so the states oversaw the election, they knew that somehow he knew. So there was three of them that knew in the future that if they if they let these election be overheld by the federal by fe- federally that it could be more easily grasped and seized, which was the attempt, as we know.
1: you wonder what he was thinking, like what they were thinking back then Mm -hmm. that, you know, kind of prevented what would have happened here.
0: Yeah, if you read the Federalist Papers, it's really interesting how insightful they are. And we've had a lot of great historians on the show that have talked about it. They really saw 200,000 year, or 2000 year, or 2, it's probably 2000, hopefully. I don't know, knock on wood if it lasts that long at this pace. After 220, or 2022 and the House gets overturned, we'll see how far we get with this democracy. But people don't realize how fragile they are. I mean, just, uh, you know, we watched Hungary, Hungary slide into a, authoritarian rule so over turkey 2020
1: slide in. turkey I mean, as well turkey, turkey. you know is the third largest democracy in the world in yeah. two years no longer
0: yeah over right? and they've yep. got rampant uh inflation i mean mm-hmm. you think your gas prices are bad you know it's crazy and, <clears throat> and all because of one jerk and i think putin's a good example of you know how simply things can be you know for from two decades the russians have sold their soul to him you know because he provided jobs in <clears throat> economy and that was what the last guy who was elected five years ago or six years ago now and i'm losing track but you know people willing to sell their soul for money and the problem is is when it goes bad it goes bad i mean you look at pinochet duterte silvio Berscoloni, we go down the list of. All the monsters. All the dictators. All the monsters and dictators where everyone sold their souls to them for jobs and money and economy. And that's what happens, you know, Mussolini, you know, people, sure, fascists are bad, but they make their trains run on time. So we'll sell Mm -hmm. our souls to them. And people don't realize how bad it can be. And it can happen anywhere and to anyone. And so when you look at refugees, when you look at people who are immigrants to this country, realize Within a week, it could be you. We had one day, January 6th, and fortunately what they wanted didn't happen, but we came really darn close a couple times and it wouldn't, it wouldn't have taken, all it needed was the decision of one man to throw us, you know, 250, 240 some odd years of uh, this republic and, and we would have been on, on the fence. Anyway, anything more you want to touch on about your book and uh, what you do with Academy?
1: No, I mean, like the chap, the, what you mentioned right now, I actually have a chapter in the middle of the book that's titled Imagine, mm-hmm. and it kind of walks you through if Ohio and Indiana went to war, what would mm-hmm. happen. Wow. And the hard part about that chapter, like it, it gets your heart racing. It makes you feel what it's like to be a refugee and leaving your country, what decisions you have to make. But I was writing that. I finished it up right before January
0: 6th. Wow.
1: January six happened. I'm like, oh no 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 no, this can't happen. And I, you know, grew up in the Middle East. I've seen these like that's yeah. how it starts. I was terrified. Our our families were terrified. And I'm like so glad the democracy was strong and stable to survive one crazy person. So far. So far. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry, <laughs> I hate
0: to be. Yeah. I hate to be that way, but I'm trying to warn people that, you know, it's, it's, it, people don't realize in this country. I mean, you do, because like you say, you guys have seen it as refugees over here. We're spoiled little brats who go, Oh, uh, this thing will be around forever. I don't know. I'll just phone right in today. But no, it's, uh, I forget the line, but basically, democracy and it may have come from Ben Franklin, but you know, it's something that all of us have to appreciate and all of us have to work at every single day. There's that old uh, saying of when Ben Franklin came out of the conference and a woman greeted him and she said, what do we have? Do we have a monarchy? Do we have a king? Do we have a democracy? And he says, you have a republic as long as you can keep it. <laughs> <laughs> so we are all the uh, caretakers of this yeah. beautiful, it's not always been beautiful, I should say, of this experiment. But it, it democracy isn't perfect, but it's the best damn thing that's out yeah. there so far. If you can find a better place to, uh, that doesn't <laughs> move there
1: to there, yeah,
0: isn't. there isn't. You know, I, I, when I've talked to people about immigration and refugees and, and you know, we've had the discussion on the show or whether I talk about it on Facebook and stuff, people need to realize that, that, that this, this country is so vaulted for its freedom, uh, its freedom of press, the, the virtues that were given to us by these makers of our Constitution. They are willing to die to come to this country. What does that tell you? I mean, what does it tell you that people are willing to die to make the trip, to make the journey, to fight their way into this country, to get here, to to take a part of the American pie? And around the world, we're renowned for that, even though we're, we're pretty ugly people when it comes down to it. The asshole American, I should say. But, but you know, that's that's the thing that we need to wake up to. And, and a lot of people are born and raised here. Even I went through that in my younger years. We're just spoiled. You know, you don't you don't you don't see, like you said, the experience of being in other countries where there's war and there's crazy dictators. And, you know, Mm -hmm. one minute everything's calm and everything's suddenly everyone's apple carts turned upside down. You know, we've never really had bread lines here. I think the closest we ever came to experience something like that was, well, the Great Depression. And, and then, of course, <laughs> recently with one of where the, I remember going yeah. to the store and the bread lanes were empty. So I think this is really beautiful uh, what you're doing and and more people need to support, especially with what's going on. Anything more you want to touch on or tease out before we go?
1: No, I mean, I think nobody should take their rights for granted. This democracy sacred. You know, my kids are always like, uh, they're young, they're eight, seven and three and a half. And. They see this look in my face. They're like, please don't tell tell us the stories like when you're back in Jordan. I'm like, no, you don't understand what you have, right? Mm -hmm. I'm constantly like want them to understand like how beautiful and valuable it is and don't take it for granted. Like it's a huge responsibility to be born in America and a huge privilege.
0: It really is. It really is. And people don't realize how fragile it is. I mean, read the Federalist Papers, uh, yeah. everyone out there in the audience. Sit down and read the Constitution. I mean, I've, I, I keep a, a copy of the Constitution on my desk. A lot of the great journalists that we have from the media, they keep it in their pocket. They mm-hmm. have it on them at all times. That freedom of the press, that the, the uh, you know, I've been in courtrooms where I've, usually for speeding tickets, where I've had to declare my ability to call a witness, ask for some sort of evidence. in my right to defend myself in a court of law. People don't realize how important those factors are until you get into law or study law. And they're just not afforded anywhere else. And we I mean, need- even
1: our right to criticize our president and our government, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, when I first got here, it was like, a peak of the Clinton. Yeah. And I remember sitting in, our, in the dorm, a living room, and everybody's like criticizing it. And I just kept looking out the window, waiting for like the FBI to come in and arrest us. Like, we're criticizing the president and we're talking all this stuff about yeah. him. And I was like, oh, nothing happened? Yeah. Like, this is yeah. awesome. Like, we can call it what it is.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, you look at, you look at, uh, Or Pinochet, I mean, Mm -hmm. thousands or tens of thousands of people disappeared into secret prisons and secret graves. The same thing with uh, Assad and his regime, Mm -hmm. secret prisons, Liberia, I think, or Libya, you know. Libya,
1: Liberia with Charles Taylor, yeah. Yeah,
0: And, you know, it's all all darkness and people disappear and, and they're never heard from again. I believe there's probably some of that going on in Ukraine. Anyway, thank you for coming on and thank you for the work you're doing. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Chris. I really Thank enjoyed
0: you it. And I hope people reach out to you in our audience and, and, and offer to help or send stuff. I've been really encouraged by seeing uh, a lot of people trying to send stuff to Ukraine, whether it's helping with B- B&B purchases that they never use or uh, like I, I've seen a lot of the fire and police departments are sending like hats and stuff over there. Yeah. So I hope people reach out to you guys and send some stuff because, you know, these, these, these folks are kids and we want them to grow up. We want to be in a great society because they're going to come up with science and, and research and technology and all sorts of new stuff, and and they're hungry for it too. Where most Americans are kind of like, yeah, my belly's full, and that's I think that's what the beauty is of what people bring to this country because they come here and they just they, they see the wonderment and the beauty of it. Where we're just kind of jaded, as.
1: I <laughs> mean, that's why we continue to have innovations because we have yeah. cycles that are coming in who yeah. are hungry and keep pushing us to be better, yeah. right?
0: The so. great melting pot america so yeah anyway thanks so much for tuning in give me your plugs one more time so people can find you on the interwebs
1: yep so fujisfamily.org luma underscore Mufleh at twitter and instagram and then fujisfamily on facebook
0: there you go thank you luma thank you And thanks so for tuning in. Go to YouTube.com forward slash Chris Voss. Hit the bell notification. Go to Goodreads.com forward slash Chris Voss. See everything we're reading and reviewing over there. Go to all our groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Join the big LinkedIn newsletter and all that good stuff. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time.